Good evening, church. I want to thank you first for being here tonight to worship the Lord, to give Him honor, to give Him praise. It is our privilege tonight as we gather this evening to be a part of the ordination service for Bobby Stanley. And as part of our service, we're going to still worship, we're still going to sing, but as part of our service, I've asked Bobby to come and to share his testimony of God's work in his life. And so, Bobby, if you would come and and join me on the platform. We are so grateful for those men that God raises up to serve among us. Bobby's been serving in this church for a very long time, but he has now been called and is moving in another direction into the deacon body as a servant among us in a whole new capacity, new way. And so with that in mind, would you listen to him prayerfully? Bobby, come share with us. Pray. Father, I just thank you that you... Uh, saved me, but more than that, that you've brought me through life, through storms, and delivered me, and proven that you are a mighty God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, first of all, I feel like I've been set up because this morning I was telling Jeff that I've been downloading some music, and uh, you know, you always like to download. If you've heard somebody sing it and that's your favorite song, nobody else can sing it like whoever does that music. And I said, we look, I bet I listened to a hundred different people sing The Lion and the Lamb. And I said, nobody has sung it like y'all. So, thank you. <laughs> um, Psalms 116. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. And the other verse to get me into is Matthew 8 27. What kind of man is this that winds and see obey him? Um, Probably between age and four or five was my first really recollection, and I can see it as clear as any picture I might have at my house. That I was at my grandmother's outside Star City, Arkansas, and a terrible thunderstorm come up, and like I say, being four or five, and mother's not there, and dad's not there, and I'm really in a strange place, I was scared. And I cried. And uh, my uncle come in and carried me into one of the bedrooms, and I can see the bunk beds and there, and, and looking out the window at the lightning flash. And he began to tell me about God and how God controls the storm and how he would take care of me. And from that moment, to this day, my quest has been to know that God. Amen. As a child, my mother and dad didn't attend church. She was a Christian, but because he wasn't, uh, she stayed at home. But I would walk many times 
and then Pine Bluff, several blocks to a local church, and I would go to Sunday school. And this is something I've shared with all my kids in Sunday school, is that I would go wanting to know about this God I was looking for. And I would see kids acting up while the teacher was trying to tell the story of God. And I would go, these are church people. Is God, is it real or is this just something else? So between that and things that happened in high school, and I probably went visit every church in Pine Bluff at one time or the other, uh, and then went to college. I pretty much, by the time college got there, it assumed that church was just something you did on Sunday, and I would just try to live a good life, be like everybody else, because that seemed to be the way it was. And without going into all those details, uh, I, I just really reached a chance. I just said, God, I don't have nothing to do with the church. I want to know you. But uh, he delivered me from that. And, uh, and it took some uh, time that I met Debbie in college. And we got married in 1971. And... Uh, 1975, she got saved by a crazy neighbor, one of those crazy people that talked about how they knew Jesus like he spent the night at their house or something. And, and uh, that started reopening my thinking because I saw the change in her life. And uh, like I say, the most I read Bible was in literature class at college, and we had to read the book of Job. And that was during a time when you either was an existentialist and believed that there was no God or God was somebody that just was a watch clock maker and had wound the clock up and left. But after she became saved, she started attending prayer groups and Bible things and we began to start going to church. And uh, during that time, we'd had several people from this church business, and so when we were really getting serious about finding a church, uh, we decided to, to go to the, the worst one first and get it out of the way so that we could satisfy those people that come to see us. And uh, I can remember coming in that door over there and going, this is it. You could feel the love and the openness. This was no longer a big church in my eyes. It was a small church with a lot of people in it. And we've been members here since June of 1977. So 40 years I've been here. And almost from the beginning, I started teaching church training on Sunday nights with all the teenagers who knew a lot more than I did. And it was a scary time for me because I had to get in God's Word, which that's exactly what I needed to be doing. 
and it helped me to learn God's word, but not only that, to start counting on him as what do I tell these kids? How do I answer their questions? And he would give me events in my life during the week, he still does, that helps me teach a class. And uh, we, uh, I'm gonna back up a little bit because this is another big turning point in our, my spiritual life especially was um, we couldn't have kids. And we were, got to the point we were starting to think about adoption and stuff. And, and like I say, Debbie had, had been going to a prayer group and uh, a dear lady, a very spiritual lady, prayed one day and when it was through praying, she told Debbie, said, the Lord has told me to tell you something. And Debbie said, what is it? And of course she was, you know, they've been praying for her to have a child and uh, she says, I don't know what it means. And, well, what is it? And she said, well, April the 19th is going to be the happiest day of your life. And this was probably in February or so. And, and of course, she gets really excited. And she realized she can't have a baby by April the 19th. <laughs> so <laughs> a long story short, because of some problems she was having, um, We'd gone to the doctor and the doctor gave her some medicine to take and then they were gonna operate on her. And um, we go out to make the reservation for two weeks and the nurse, and this is in March or something, and the doctor said, a nurse, uh, the lady making a, said, well, doctor's not gonna be here in two weeks. And we said, well, just put us down for the first time that we can get in. And she sat there for a while and finally come up and says, how about April the 19th? Well, that was, um, that was a big deal. And that was the day that we found out that we were gonna have our first child, Leah. And uh, through that, God did a lot of other things, especially in my life. He, there was an event that happened during that time that God, showed me that it wasn't about going to church. It wasn't about being good. It was about knowing him. And it changed my life spiritually at that point. And then in 1978, we had Liza come along and it was interesting that uh, at that time was farming and um, and it was agreed on that it was kind of interesting that her middle name is Joy and it was something we needed in our life at that time. And, and she has been a joy. Real quickly, 1980, we were farming, her dad gets sick and next thing we know, we're a million dollars in the red. And uh, because, anyway, I, was, I, I started doing all the financial stuff, not that, that 
but we sold a lot of stuff. We remanaged a lot of stuff, and in 1984, we broke even, and I decided it was time for me to, to move on and, and try to use my, quote, college education to do something else. And um, in 1987, our son was born, David. So uh, going from not able to have kids, we had three great kids. And uh, they've all had their storms in their lives. And, and uh, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But uh, God has blessed us so much. But I want to talk a little bit about the 40 years here. Because you, Wind Baptist Church, God has used us to bless our lives. And especially me, to grow me, to strengthen me, to encourage me. That's what you have done in my life. And I can't imagine being anywhere else. I know God would have done that somewhere else. But what a great place to put me because you were what I needed. And... And I come in, it's no longer, oh, I got to go to church. It's, oh boy, I want to go to church because I look around on Sunday mornings at night too, but I see others were here. Um, a good example, even this morning, seeing Miss Faye sitting there in church who suffered a great loss. But she chose to come to church on Sunday. And I'm going, how great a witness. I won't be like that. So many people I could talk about that aren't here anymore. They're a great witness they have been. And what we have to understand, and God has shown me, I am always a witness. I'm either a witness for him or I'm a witness for the world. It's my choice. And I think that I praise our pastor for the, the words he's been speaking the, the, for a while, but especially the last six weeks and how they spoken to me and reaffirmed what God has called me to do. And, and I was asked tonight uh, about would my life be different as a deacon now? And I said, I don't know. Because I feel like God has called me to serve. And I don't know if a deacon will make it any more or what, but I want to serve my family. And I... I cannot explain any other deeper that you are family by blood, his blood. And uh, I don't have that, the wisdom or the, the words to explain how I feel and how you make me feel. Again, it's a, it's a great privilege the, for my, the body of deacons 
to say they want me to be a part of what they do. And I hope, God willing, that I will be what they expect of me. And uh, I shared a little bit with Coach a while ago that uh, I'm already starting to get some call for some reason. They feel like I'm old, but <laughs> they, uh, one, they asked me what they thought my gift was, and I really think my gift is God has allowed me to remain a child at heart, and I love it because some of my best teachers are on Sunday mornings and, and the young people and how they have uh, their simple faith has encouraged me not to get too technical with God. But uh, in Joshua, Caleb tells Joshua, I want what God has promised me. I'm 88 years old and I'm still strong enough. I'll fight the giants that are in my land. You just let me go. And, and I was explaining, and, and it's a good example. Uh, Romans 5 says that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. And what a better example was Friday night. Uh, the Yellow Jackets, over the years, through suffering and, and gaining endurance, have a character that has built a hope in them that no matter what, there's a chance that they can turn it around. And there they were, fourth quarter, haven't played a very good game, been overwhelmed by the, the opponent. And two minutes left, they're scored on. What do you do? That's the season ending touchdown. I mean, what do you do? Well, they do what someone that has hope will do. They got after it. And they moved the ball down and scored and won the game. And I hope as a servant of God that no matter what, I will get up and always try to worship him and I want to finish strong like they did Friday night. And I hope that if I can be an encouragement to anybody. I hope that everybody said it. And I, I don't think I have to say that to y'all because I, that's why I want to finish strong is because I know y'all are. And uh, again, I just want to thank you. There's a lot of things that happen in our lives that we give praise to God for from Debbie uh, being in remission, Luke being in remission. God has blessed us so much. How could I not serve him? Thank you.
Thank you, Bobby. Bobby is a servant, and God has used him as a servant in our church for many, many years. He continues to teach a young boys class in our children's area on Sunday morning. Uh, it was really interesting tonight as we sat in ordination council. Uh, two of the men sitting there had been his students at one time. So they were afraid to ask him any questions. And um, so in any way, we're going to receive our offering at this time, and then we're going to continue to worship the Lord as we continue our service. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the testimony of this brother to what you mean to him, what you have done in him, and Lord, how this church has been such an important part of his life and the life of his family. We pray, Father, tonight that as we give, we would give with a sense that we're investing in the ministry of this church, but we're also investing in the ministry of people with hearts like Bobby, missionaries who are serving you tonight around the world, uh, those who are serving you here in the United States, those who are serving in the Delta. And Father, we know as we give, we are plowing and investing in those ministries. Father, wherever those men and women are tonight, those that are dear to our heart, we pray, Almighty God, that they would be encouraged by your Holy Spirit as we give. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Kevin Fisher is the chairman of our deacons. He also served as moderator of our ordination council this afternoon when we met with Bobby. And at this time, Kevin's going to come and give you a report. If I seem a little nervous, it's because I am. Um, uh, like Bobby said, that uh, I think I've been on rows, at least on the crib row since 1972 right here in Wynn Baptist Church and uh, anytime I had taken the stand up here I always feel like my, that ought to be the, the position of my dad you know because he was a deacon and and I always saw him doing that so it is a great honor to come before you to talk to you about our ordination council tonight but um, as you can hear in, in his testimony and if uh, if anyone does not know Bobby that uh, you need to take time out and, and listen to some of his stories. I mean, they're, they're, they're wonderful to hear, but in the end, you will hear about Jesus, how he has changed his life. And uh, I mean, when, when we're out sharing um, in our day-to-day -day life, what more would you want to know about than what God has done in, in my life and in your life? So, um, it comes as a recommendation from the ordination council that we ordain Bobby Stanley tonight. Thank you, Kevin. I'm reading from Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to read the first four verses. This passage of Scripture is usually understood to be the first reference to deacons in the New Testament. And it occurs in the early church at a time when it was growing rapidly. And so when we come to verse 1, we begin to realize that the church is being challenged. And in the early stages of the church, we see challenges coming from outside the church. We see persecution. We see all kinds of things coming against the Christians, against the body of Christ to stop the spread of the gospel. But this is different because it occurs inside the church. Listen, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, 
there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry, to the ministry of the word. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that through your scripture, your Holy Spirit would apply it to our heart, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. There are many issues we could talk about here as we look at this passage of scripture. Obviously, they had a problem, but there are all kinds of things that are, that are addressed here. Uh, one thing that came to mind, for example, is what I'm going to call, and this is a long word, but I'm just going to call it the professionalization of ministry. This is a passage we could use to talk about that. Um, many times people will come to a ministry professional when they think that something needs to be done. And, and so sometimes we look at pastors as professional ministers in such a way that they are the ones who do ministry competently and the rest of us watch. And, and in this passage of Scripture, we see something entirely different taking place. We see the church seeing a need, recognizing a need, and members of that body come together and they address the need. And they're not professionals. They're simply called men in this particular instance. I think another thing we could talk about here is discrimination. Uh, there are two groups of people in this particular church. There are people who are Hebrews in their culture and their nationality, and there are others who are Hellenists. Both of them are Jewish in their, in their background, their religious background. But one is culturally, they're Hebrews. The others are Hellenists. And so they dress differently. They, they ate different things. They behaved differently. They, they even sounded different. And they were worshiping together in the same church. And we could talk about discrimination, how that's handled, because this was a moment where the differences were dividing the church. But tonight, I want to talk about this deacon position, this deacon role that we're about to ordain Bobby to. It's a critical role in the church. At this particular moment, um, it is dealing with some very critical issues that are occurring in the body of Christ. Uh, you will not find to your satisfaction a job description for deacons in the New Testament. And that's why from church to church and even from denomination to denomination, you'll see slightly different assignments given to deacons. But I think we have some very strong clues in this text regarding the work that deacons do. And we see that by looking at the two great threats to the church at this moment. One is it was being divided. And so these men were being set aside to work against those divisions. And in that sense, they were called to heal the body, take those divisions, and bring the body together and cause it to be whole and to cause it to be healthy. And so if we see the first threat is division, the deacons were the answer to that, that issue. That was their assignment. I, I see something else here that was a threat to the church. Distraction. You see, the 12, the apostles at that point, were acting as the shepherds of the church. And in that capacity, they had a responsibility to pray and seek the direction of the head 
for the body. And at the same time, they were called to a ministry of the Word. If anything, that's probably more central. It's not desirable, they said, that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. When the deacons were appointed, they said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Yes, there's a division. Yes, it's threatening the church. But we believe that our mission of praying and getting guidance and direction from the Father and ministering the Word, spreading the gospel, preaching the truth about Jesus is so important that nothing can stop that preaching and that praying. I've often read that passage and I thought, you know, if they were in a regular Baptist church, they would have had a tough time with this one. To tell the ladies of the church who were struggling that that something else was more important. But that's exactly what they said. And so one of the things that was threatening the church is it was about to be derailed from its mission. And the deacons, by stepping into the gap, if you will, were helping the church stay on task, stay on mission, and deal with the distractions that were being caused by this particular problem. Deacons are called to keep the body healthy and whole and headed into the mission fields of God. How do they do that? Well, I think the answer is found in the qualifications for these men that are described here. The first one, good reputation, is actually a word we get martyr from. The difference is, in this particular case, this wasn't a testimony that they were giving. This was a testimony others were giving about them. They were to be men of good reputation. Not the words they were speaking, but the words being spoken about them. So there was something about the way these men lived that caused others to speak well of them. And they would be well spoken of. That was the first qualification. Well, that sounds, sounds good. But then it says they were supposed to be full of something. Actually, not one thing. It says two things. And, and the way this is worded in the text, when it says that they were to be uh, of men of good reputation, what does that mean? Well, he comes back behind it right away. And he says, good reputation full of the Spirit and the wisdom. So it wasn't just a reputation of being a nice guy. It was a reputation for being a man who was full of the Spirit and wisdom. And based on what we've been studying on Sunday morning, what we understand very clearly is you can't have wisdom without God. And it's His presence in your life that gives you wisdom. And so really the big qualification here is these men were full of the Spirit. They were Spirit-filled men. And how does a person get full of the Spirit? Well, if you could imagine a container and you're filling it up, if there's anything else in the container, it can't be filled with whatever you're putting into it. And sometimes we have areas in our life where we just have not yet surrendered that area of our life to God. Places where I have actions and I have attitudes and I have preoccupations and I have things that I get involved in, and I have not yet let God come into that area of my life. These men were not like that. They had come to a place where they had fully surrendered every area of their life to the Lord, and they said, God, any area of my life that you want, it's yours. And they let the Holy Spirit come and fill every area of their life. That areas, those areas have to be surrendered. And so before I can serve the church, I need to first serve the Lord. Before I can serve you, I have to be surrendered to Him. 
And so what we're doing tonight when we talk about deacons, and by the word, the word, by the way, the word deacon means servant, someone who serves, is that this primary qualification to be the kind of man that can heal the church and keep it whole and keep it healthy is a kind of man that's full of God. And the only way I can be full of God is if I've surrendered to him every area of my life. So being full of the Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit. It's the Spirit getting more of me. You cannot effectively serve the church if you're not serving him first. And these brothers that I serve with and our deacon body, to the man, have surrendered to him consciously in every area of their life. And Bobby is this kind of a man. In church, I want to encourage you tonight to receive the ministry of Bobby Stanley. Hear him when he speaks to you. Help him when he serves among you. Pray for him as he steps into the challenges that we face and that we know are coming. We know from this scripture and others that that the enemy is at work to destroy this church. But we have an advantage. We have men in this church called deacons. And he'll have to destroy them before he can destroy this church. And I thank God for these men. Tonight, it is our privilege to include Bobby Stanley among these men called deacons. And so, church, I pray that you'll join us in an attitude of prayer for the next few moments as we lay hands on Bobby Stanley. Um, Dustin, would you grab this chair and put it in the center? And Bobby, I'm going to ask you to come sit there. Uh, Debbie, we have a chair over here for you to the right. And um, would, would one of y'all grab that chair right there and just kind of put it out here in the middle? And, and wives of ordained men in the church, uh, I'm going to encourage you when we line up to pray over Bobby, uh, women of the church who are uh, wives of ordained men, I'm going to encourage you to come. And as we pray for Bobby, would you pray for Debbie? And pray for their family. Because when the enemy goes to war, he attacks these men, he attacks their families. And so... I'm going to ask you to pray for her tonight, ladies, as we pray for, for Bobby. And then when we're done praying, I'm going to give an invitation. Because I think something like this, we need to be sensitive to what the Lord's saying to us as individuals. So be prepared to respond to the Lord as he speaks to you. Uh, I'm going to ask our ordained men of the church to line up to my left, your right, against this wall. And uh, we will begin. Let me, uh, let me pray for us as these men move to their places. Uh, as soon as we begin, ladies, you go ahead and come over here and be praying with Debbie. And um, join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege we have tonight coming and gathering around this man and being obedient to what you're doing in his life. You're setting him apart for this ministry. You have used him for many years here to teach young boys. You have used him to bear witness to the saving life of Christ. And now, Lord, you're moving him to a very strategic place in the life of this church to do ministry among us as a servant of God. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would fill this place. And may what we do here tonight please you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Lord, we are so grateful to you for what you have done in Bobby's life tonight. And Bobby, we're thankful for you. And we look forward to how the Lord's going to use you in weeks, months, and years to come. Church, we want to allow an opportunity for you to respond to how God may have spoken to you. See, we, we have underscored tonight, I hope, this truth that before I can serve others, I need to first surrender my heart to the Lord. I need the Holy Spirit in my life in order to minister in any way that's going to be eternal and that's going to change lives. And so maybe as you heard that tonight and as you watched Bobby go through this, you thought, you know, I need to do that. I need to take the next step in surrendering my life to the Lord. And so as we stand and sing here in just a moment, you may just need to bow your head and just say, oh God, I want to be as surrendered as I can so that you can use me in ministry. You might have come tonight and you realize sitting here, I don't know Jesus the way these people know Jesus. And I want to know him. And you need to know that the Lord loves you just as you are. There's nothing you can do to make yourself better for him. He died on the cross for your sins so that all that was offensive to the Father could be washed away. And if you will put your trust in him, he will save your soul. Your destiny will be heaven, but even more importantly, he will become your constant companion. The Holy Spirit will come to live in you, and he will change your life from the inside out. And if you'd like to trust Jesus tonight, I'll be down front. There'll be pastors down here. Um, if you're a lady, you'd like to talk to a lady, come on. We'll, we've got women here. You saw them praying. They'll be glad to counsel with you. How's the Lord spoken to you? How do you need to respond to him?